When Liz Bennett was at Stitch Fix, she got the chance to build a company-wide stream processing platform from the ground up. She learned a lot of technical lessons and even more importantly, some technology leadership lessons. She shares both on today's episode of Streaming Audio, a podcast about Kafka, Confluent, and the cloud. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Streaming Audio. I am, as always, your host, Tim Berglund, and I'm joined today in the virtual studio by Liz Bennett. Uh, Liz is, of course, famously uh, the second of the five Bennett sisters growing up on the Longburn estate in Hertfordshire, England. Uh, uh, Tim? And- yes, Liz? Yeah, that's a that's a different Liz Bennett. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, which- she, she's from the 1800s. Oh. Yeah. Which, which Liz Bennett are you? <laughs> I am Liz Bennett, who is a software engineer at Confluent. Oh, I've yeah. seen you in Slack. <laughs> oh, this is awkward. Okay. Well, uh, all right. Uh, everybody, this is Liz Bennett, and she's a coworker of mine. She's a software engineer who works at Confluent. Um, Liz, tell us about yourself. Great. Yeah. So, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Uh, I just, I love the idea of having this streaming audio podcast, and it's just like such a fun medium for for diving into these, you know, sometimes complicated technical subjects. So, um, okay, about me, I, uh, let's see, I have been working with Kafka for a long time. Uh, a few years ago, I worked at Logly, which is a logs as a service company. And um, after that, I switched to Stitch Fix, where I built all of their streaming infrastructure, and I really got my hands, uh, I really got a lot of experience working with Kafka Connect, and we we invested heavily in it, and I'm a humongous fan of Kafka Connect, so much so that I decided to join the rest of the Kafka Connect fanatics here at Confluent uh, recently, about four months ago. Nice. Yeah, so yeah, and you work on Connect here. So I was originally going to join the Connect team, and I may end up on the Connect team eventually, but for the time being, I'm on the cloud team because I wanted to sort of learn some new skills and you know get better at Kubernetes and things like that. So Which, being on the cloud team yeah. is definitely a way mm-hmm. to get better at Kubernetes. Yes, um, it's been a crash course in Kubernetes yeah, for sure. Yeah, I bet it has. And uh, to be fair, I mean, it's uh, I always it's always important to say when we're recording this. I mean, most people listen to them right after they come out, but we're recording this in the middle of January, 2020. And the current state of affairs in Confluent Cloud is um, kind of the rapid, rapid cloudification of as many connectors as possible. So I expect having right. a connect expert on the cloud team isn't exactly a harmful thing. Right. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, awesome. And it is great to have you as a coworker. I know you have, uh, uh, kidding aside, you've joined just a few months ago before this recording. It's great to have you. It's great to be here. And what I would love to talk about today is, you know, a lot of what you did at Stitch Fix was data integration things and data integration things are in Kafka are sort of definitionally Kafka connect things. Right. To the extent that uh, you're able to, I would love to talk about what you did there and just kind of, sure. it's been a while since we've had a connect show, um, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. honestly, everybody always loves talking about connect or hearing us talk about connect. So oh yeah, um, yeah. tell us about a project or what just take us, take us from the beginning. What did you begin by prototyping? Yeah, yeah, I would love to. So when I was, when I joined Stitch Fix, I was leaving this 
Logly, Logs is a service company. And I, I was hired at Stitrix basically to build their logging infrastructure. So um, the director of the data platform team there, which is the data platform team is the kind of engineering team that supports all of the data scientists at Stitchfix. So there's like a hundred data scientists there and there's a 20 person data platform team building all of the uh, systems and tools and utilities to enable data science at Stitchfix. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with Stitchfix, um, it's a, it's basically a, a personal shopping as a service. Clothing as a service, right? Yeah, clothing as a service. Maybe it's, and, we should describe it as dressing nicely as a service. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, they're... One of their main, one of the main pillars of their business is data science. It, the the business runs on recommendation algorithms, and also there's tons of algorithms that run internal internal to the business that you know operate the warehouses and help with um, the personal styling aspects. And just uh, they really um, invested so heavily in just making data uh, the first class citizen of Stitchfix and. Stitchfix is part of this kind of new crop of companies that is is shifting toward that. So they had a chief uh, algorithms officer, a C-level executive in charge of the whole data org. So that's, okay, so that's context about Stitchfix. So the data platform team is was building all the engineering systems to support that. And when I joined, they didn't really have logging infrastructure uh, <laughs> Like, um, you know, most companies start out not having logging infrastructure, and then at some point they invest in it, and then they have logging infrastructure, and it changes everything, and it and it unlocks a lot of capabilities, and so it's great. So I w- I joined to basically make that happen for them. Uh, so there was no, there were no um, guidelines, no really hard requirements. It was just like do what you can do with logs. Okay. So yeah, um, we have, so uh, my they say we have log for J now. Make it not bad, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, when I so I at first I was thinking, okay, um, I can just build a system that gets log data and ships it into the data warehouse, like build a, a um, kind of a purpose, you know, purpose built system that kind of just fills that one need. But as I was doing more research, I came across Kafka Connect, and I read uh, Jay Krebs's iHeartLogs book. Um, I read a lot of things that Jay Krebs wrote, actually, and I started to see the possibility of having this centralized data platform and uh, like data integration system. And the I started to think like, what if you instead of having a logging system, you had an event streaming system where you could ingest data from anywhere across the entire company and then write it to anywhere in the entire company. That's so much more powerful than just a logging system. I mean, it really is the central nervous system of the company. So I was tasked to fix the logs and I made it my mission to build that central nervous system. And the biggest piece of that was Kafka Connect. So very early on, I stood up a Kafka Connect cluster, I stood up a Kafka cluster, and uh, then the hard part was making it useful for data scientists. So 
one of the major tenets of the data platform team at Stitch Fix is that all the tools we build as engineers should be self-service for data scientists. So a data scientist should never file a JIRA ticket and someone in the engineering team goes and makes it happen. We provide an interface and a UI so that the data scientists can do it themselves. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, definitely the the tricky part of this this whole project was how do I stand up uh, a Kafka cluster, Kafka Connect, and also make it directly usable and accessible by data scientists. Now, I want to I want to talk about that um, that self serve thing sounds very important, but I want to back up a step because mm-hmm. you said something actually a lot bigger than that, which was that you started with a mandate to fix logging because um, they had you know, probably mm-hmm. sort of the primitive default um, logging kind of situation that most people have before they think about it. Right. Like, okay, we want to make investments. Let's make this centralized and get stuff into the data warehouse. And you said, eh, that would be nice. Also, uh, a revolutionary new architectural paradigm would probably be a better solution. Mm-hmm. Those aren't your words, but that's my translation yeah. of your words. How sure. did you go about that? Um, and I, I ask because... Like when I'm occasionally like on a panel at a conference or kind of hallway track questions at conferences when I'm um, traveling and speaking, probably like, I don't know if it's the majority question, but the plurality question is how do I get my company to adopt this thing that you just got me excited about? Mm. And for the kind of engineer who is forward looking and is keyed into the fact that, okay, streaming is is going to unlock new capabilities. It's the thing I should do next in my world. It's it's still a, a new paradigm, right? It's still a, a scary new idea right. that nobody knows how quite to do. So what was that like to, like, how did you do that <laughs> in, in, oh, organizationally? Yeah. That's really, it's a leadership question more than a technology yeah. question. Yeah, that is such a good question because it you're right that it was it wasn't always easy. And it took a lot of convincing people and a lot of evangelizing so, yeah, um, that was that was tough. I'd say the first thing I did was to set up a prototype. So just download Kafka, like set it up. I uh, I scheduled a hackathon on the data platform team, a Kafka hackathon, and I invited everybody who was interested to come and join and just play with Kafka and play around with it. Most of the people had never used Kafka. They didn't know anything about it. And so uh, we all just got in a room together and, 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 and tried to see what, what was possible and what we could do with it. I think one, one guy, he um, created a, like an ASCII movie. Like he like, would pipe in ASCII characters from, as a, like in a Kafka producer. And then he had a consumer that would play it on another machine and it would like play a movie. Um, so, you know, your typical hack day stuff. So I think like that was really useful for getting the engineers on board and and just sort of having bottom-up uh, momentum. And then to sell it further up the management chain, the one thing I really attribute to the success of the project was um, picking a good name for it. <laughs> and so we called it the Data Highway, which is actually a pretty common name for this project. I, I've definitely heard uh, several other companies with the same exact project, also call it the data highway. Uh, but it was really useful for explaining what I wanted to, what did I wanted it to be. If you think about how hot, 
what a highway is and how there are highways across the entire world, really, it, it is just a way to get people from anywhere they want to, from anywhere they are to anywhere they want to go. And it's just such a perfect model for, for capturing what, what this infrastructure is. And it also makes you think like, wow, people used to take the train everywhere and then we built all these highways and now everybody gets, you can get places so much faster and you, you it's so much more um, granular, the, the way transportation works. And, and it, it's just so perfect. It captures it so perfectly. Well, that analogy so, is uh, painfully good. <laughs> trains trains are much more like batch, right? You you have to yeah, load yeah. them up, and there are certain economies of scale there, right? There are some things that are good for that. True. Um, yeah, but yeah. I don't want to. I mean, I'm, well, Amer- like, I don't, I'm an American. I don't want to have to get loaded up on a thing with a give me put me in my car. <laughs> I know, yeah, and I think it resonates with Americans. Uh, you know, it's an American company, sure. and also like in a sorry in to a our data European order. audience and our East Coast audience, <laughs> yeah. we love trains. We also love you. I mean, Personally, I I like trains more than I like cars. So, but it worked for the for the purposes of this, uh, you know, as a metaphor for this project. Also, since uh, it was a data org, the whole org was very batch oriented. So, uh, it helped a lot to use that train metaphor. So that was one thing: having a great name, having a great branding for it. Uh, people remember; they think, "Oh, the data highway." I remember what that is. I I know what it's supposed to do, kind of. And then the second thing was. I created a vision document. So this was um, quite an investment of of just sort of thought leadership for me. I spent at least a couple weeks working on it. And it was this like eight or 10 page document that was that laid out exactly what I wanted to do, exactly what like how I wanted to implement it, exactly what the user interface was going to look like and what capabilities it was going to unlock, what problems was it solving. And um, when when people read that, they I think they really started to get it. And actually, when I first wrote this document, I sent it to my manager and I sent it to the director of the data platform team. And the next day, he scheduled a three-hour meeting that just said Data Highway on it. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> like... Like when the director schedules a three-hour meeting with you and your manager, uh, that was that was a little bit of a scary moment in the project. A little bit, uh, but a little bit. Yeah, that that, uh, <laughs> that escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah, but it ended up being a really productive meeting. We just went through the document paragraph by paragraph, and he critiqued it, and he he really shifted a lot of the alignment of it, and and just sort of made sure that we were. All of us were on exactly the same page and that what I was building worked with what his vision for the team was and so on and so forth. So I think it just helps so much to put in writing and to have a very clear vision for what you're going to do before you start doing it. So Yeah, so um, the steps yeah. were uh, hackathon to get, right. to get grassroots interest, mm-hmm. cool name, yeah. compelling and precise metaphor. <laughs> And then vision document that Mm -hmm. addressed business goals uh, and not just technology goals. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it did include a lot of detail around the technology also. Okay. Because, you know. Technically technically beefy vision document, including business goals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And shout out to your director who 
was a sufficiently open and forward-looking person to be able to respond to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, you you had to be. I mean, I'm 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 trying to put a spotlight. And and by the way, listening audience, I actually didn't know this part of what Liz and I would be talking about. She just kind of said those things, and I'm like, eh, <laughs> we're going to spend a while talking about that because that's extra awesome. Yeah. Um, and well, it was a great I, frankly, question. I'm trying actually, to put, yeah. What, what's that? It was a great question. It's a really good thing to dive into because it, oh, it was man, very, it's so very important because everybody yeah. stumbles on this. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, this this podcast is about a technology category that is that is new and difficult. Right. Nobody when I visit when I go and I talk about this all the time when I sit in a room with enterprise software architects and they're like, well, how do we do payments with streams? Mm-hmm. It's hard because you didn't yeah. have a class in that and yeah. you have to think through it anew. And so this is everybody's struggle. And, and how do you convince you, once you have the intuition that this is going to work, how do you convince your leadership? So this is awesome. It's also, it's very much a, a engineering or, or technology driven paradigm shift. Like engineers, people on the front line, they can see the value of event streaming platform. Leadership, it's it's a harder sell. It's so It's such an esoteric thing still. So I, yeah, there's this, a lot of this bottoms up kind of convincing of leadership. Right, right. And, um, uh, yeah, well, terrific. Okay, I forget, I forget where we even were. You, you <laughs> uh, were fixing logging, and you decided to convince um, this non-trivially sized organization to adopt a new architectural paradigm. Mm-hmm. Succeeded. So, mm-hmm. take us from there. Right. So, once the vision doc, you know, had the stamp of approval, we just got to work. So, um, we stood up Kafka. We stood up Kafka Connect. We decided which connectors we were going to install, and we built a few services on top. So uh, back to this whole idea of self-service and making a platform self-service for data scientists, we really wanted to have a a very nice UI, like, um, you know, GUI, like a web-based user interface to to interact with the platform. And we built... um, uh, you know, HTTP utilities, so uh, data scientists could produce data through HTTP. You could also use the HTTP REST proxy, but we wanted to have more control over the, the published side of things. Sure. And we built um, we built this admin service, which sat on top of Kafka Connect mostly, but it kind of was the glue that tied everything together in the platform. And it was the backend for the UI also. And that admin service was really, really useful. So that would be um, one thing I would highly recommend if you're going to build a, a, a platform for yourself. Like at least put one one uh, s- system in there that you you have complete control over if you want to have like a really nice cohesive sort of like custom feel to it. Sure. Would that, um, if I were to use the somewhat trendy term control plane to refer to that in terms of your service, would that be more or less precise? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That would be kind of your control plane. Pretty accurate. Yeah. We called it a Caltrans because it was part of the data highway (laughs) theme. (laughs) Of course, Caltrans sounding like a train network in a certain geography. Right. Right. Yeah. For those of you not familiar, would be Caltrain. Um, Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and also the department. Non-California. Oh, Caltrans is a yeah, department yeah. of the it's state the, government of California. Yeah. <laughs> uh, see, when you live in one of the square states, you just don't know these things. <laughs> um, 
the GUI and the self-service aspects. I would like to dive into those a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, again, I I don't want to not talk about interesting connect things. I mean, I'm going to dig into some connect mm. technology stuff in a little bit, but sure. it strikes me that 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 self-service thing is as much, again, a social and organizational hack mm -hmm. as anything. And I think it's absolutely critical yeah. to initiatives as ambitious as yours being successful. So talk about your motivations there and what were the impacts and how did it work out? So let's see, like, what was our ambition with the, with the, um, the, with so, the GUI? Like why, you mean? Yeah. Why yeah. did you do that? So we wanted it to feel like a data science product. Like it was a product designed for data scientists with their needs in mind. I think this is one thing that's an opportunity for Confluent and for Kafka in general is that um, they're, the Confluent ecosystem is pretty far away from the data science ecosystem. So what we wanted to do was build a UI that had first-class integration with the Hive Metastore, with Spark, um, with uh, um, like data governance, uh, you know, um, like it would integrate with our data governance system. Like it was really just uh, the glue that tied the data science world to the Kafka world. Um, nice. Yeah. Um. When you got into, um, I, I just let me follow up on that a little bit. Making things self serve for clients like uh, data scientists, you're you're building plumbing and nice fixtures and things for data scientists to use to mm -hmm. do their work. But I think giving them self serve tools gives them this low transaction mm -hmm. cost ability to get data in and out and um, right, yeah. Well, just do whatever they think of without having to ask you for permission or mm -hmm. allocate engineering resources or anything. You always want to like free up yeah. whoever the clients are of the system. You, you don't want them to need you after the infrastructure is built. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's huge. That was huge. Right. Yeah. Because like if they're coming to you all the time, like it's a drag on them, it's a drag on you. And they'll stop yeah. uh, is the thing. Yeah. They, it, it, you won't yeah. get adoption and you won't get use if their mm -hmm. transaction cost mm -hmm. is high. They'll just do this one thing. Yeah where once a month they dump things into their MySQL that they know and love and it's yeah, nice to yeah. them and has always yeah. been their friend and is a little <laughs> bit of a dysfunctional relationship, but it's the one they know and yep. uh, you know, they won't <laughs> yeah. get all the good stuff that you're trying to build for them. So that's... Yeah. And with this especially, like it, it was like night and day when we had the, we had our, you know, our legacy logging system, which we had before I joined and it was very... Um, it was a manual process. Uh, a data scientist, if they really wanted logs, they would come to us. We would go, we would set some manual stuff up. We would create a stream for them, you know, and then a few days later, we'd be like, okay, it's all ready now. And we had, I don't know, I want to say like 10, 11 topics total. And then as soon as the data highway came out, it was self-service. It was like, it shot up like 10x the number of topics and the number of users and consumers and producers like within a, a quarter like and there was just so much need for it and so much desire and so much curiosity around it but it, it was just too much of a bottleneck this manual process right. so did that were there any infrastructure strains that you had to over when you know oops i built this thing that everybody loves and they want to use it uh mm -hmm. were there any challenges in scaling things uh when that big bump happened Ooh. Yeah, I mean, there were ton. There were definitely operational challenges that I would love to kind of 
spend some time really digging into if you if you want to if you want to go there. I would love to. Um, Tell us what happened. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So initially, I mean, uh, the the Kafka cluster was way over provisioned, which you know, I. I basically did that, like from my experience at Logly, we we you know we ran a really tight shop, and um, uh, the infrastructure we were we were running it pretty hot most of the time, and so with districts, like uh, I I just decided it's so much easier from an operational perspective to just throw more hardware at it, yeah. and you have a lot less outages, and there's. The most expensive resource in any technology company is the time of the developers and the time of the people. So if you can just avoid having production issues and avoid having outages and things like that as much as possible by throwing a little bit more hardware at it, then like it's just so worth it. So that got us through for a long time, actually. So your, your original question was like, did something, did something bad happen when we first opened the floodgates? Um, and the answer is no. Uh, we just it it just wasn't it wasn't an issue for for a while actually like maybe a year or so um, and then yeah we did start to run into issues like with Kafka at least like you can you can add more brokers you can you can increase the size of your nodes it's it's a pretty straightforward um, scaling process we would always just scale up when we started running out of disk space or we started running you know out of network um, that was never too much of an issue. Kafka Connect, on the other hand, I mean, okay. First of all, I'd like to say I love Kafka Connect <laughs> so much. Yeah, it, just want to be clear. It works, <laughs> yeah, it works really well so much of the time, and it's just a really well engineered system. It, it, you know, I love the the API for writing your own connectors. It's so easy to write your own connectors. That is a fact. You can, yeah, um, you you can. You, it's just, it really like, okay, so I, I've been working with Kafka for a long time, writing Kafka applications, even before Logly, I was at LinkedIn uh, working with Kafka and Kafka Connect just cuts down the amount of work you have to do to make a nice streaming pipeline by so much. So yes, I love Kafka Connect. It did have some issues for us um, because we we started to have so many connectors, we had tons of like thousands of connectors in our Kafka cluster. Um, that's a lot, and most of those issues were related to rebalancing. Okay, and that's actually connect fixed now. Uh, connect rebalancing, yeah. yeah, that was a thing. I think that changed in two point mm-hmm. three, or was it two point four? It's recent. Um, I know it's recent. Yeah, I yeah, quite recent. Made the yeah, summary videos of these things, so you'd think I'd remember, but it's. Uh, definitely <laughs> not 2.2 and 2.5 doesn't exist at the time of this recording. So it's one of those two versions. Yeah, I think it was 2. Point, yeah, either 2.3 or 2.4. But tell us, uh, for those who don't know, uh, walk us through what connector rebalancing is and why it was bad for you. Yeah, so in Kafka Connect, you have a bunch of connectors and each connector is composed of a number of tasks. And those tasks are threads, basically. They're threads that run in your... Um, in your cluster. And anytime you would create a new connector or delete a connector or change the number of tasks in a connector, Kafka Connect would try to balance the tasks across the cluster so that 
you don't have hot spots or hot nodes or things Seems like that. Seems perfectly reasonable. You don't have to, something changes. Sure, yeah. Let's, let's make sure everything's fairly distributed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the issue was, this is before um, cooperative uh, incremental rebalancing, which is recent. So um, if you're just starting with Kafka Connect now and you're using a, a more recent version, this is not going to be a problem. So this is really applies to people who haven't upgraded their Kafka Connect cluster yet and are starting to run into this problem. Um, so what what would happen is if you add a connector, delete a connector, all of the threads, all the tasks would shut down and they would all come back up again. It was a stop the world rebalance. And um, if you have a few thousand connectors and a few thousand threads and they're all shut down and they all come back up again at the same time, you can start to have like these thundering herd issues where, uh, and it, it manifested in, in several different ways. So we had several different sort of um, issues and outages that were caused from that. How long does a rebalance take in a cluster like this? Ooh, gosh, like, it, like before. Uh, Incremental cooperative. Like again, before incremental, I mean, it would be like thirty seconds to a minute sometimes. Okay, so that is significant. That's not there. There is no real yeah. time anything here. And how big? Yeah, yeah. How so big that, were your connect yeah. clusters in terms of nodes? Ooh, gosh. If you can um, talk about these things, I realize we're talking about kind of somebody else's stuff. Yeah, at this yeah. Point, True. Yeah, I guess I should say um, pretty big not extremely massive in terms of the size of the nodes or the number of nodes. Our, our connector, we had a ton of connectors, but most of those connectors were pretty low in volume. So we ran into issues that you get when you have tons and tons of connectors, but not necessarily a lot of volume. I mean, it would happen if you had a lot of volume too. Yeah, either way. But these are cluster, you know, these are connect clusters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. Mm. Okay, so um, I keep uh, I, I keep uh, keep distracting you. <laughs> this is the uh, if we're talking about the rebalancing uh, the, the the rebalancing problem that was one of the things that you saw go wrong right away. And I think it's important to note that this is a this is a pretty beefy connect use. You know, if you've got hundreds or thousands of connectors in there, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so you are yeah. you are all yeah. in on this. I think like I think we're sort of on the on the vanguard. I don't think it's, I don't think it'll be unusual to see connect clusters like that in the near future in like the next year or two. Okay. For sure. As things, as, uh, as adoption continues. Mm -hmm. uh, how about tooling, you know, connect specific tooling? What were some things you discovered there? So, oof. So, okay. Being a data, being a data org, uh, a lot of our, other tooling, a lot of the tooling in the in the org is um, uh, like job based. So we have like jobs that run every hour or so. So a lot of the most useful things that we found, we we sort of encoded into jobs. So we had a job that would restart connectors. This one was huge actually, because connectors when you have a thousand connectors or more, the connectors will crash a lot, like pretty okay. often for um, just like network blips or, or you know, uh, we had the S3 connector and the S3 connector would, for some reason, get an error from AWS, like transient error. And then the connector would crash and <laughs> go down. Um, 
And so uh, we started to see this very early on with Kafka Connect. So we just set up this job that would automatically restart the connectors when they crashed. And uh, that was kind of the last we ever had to think about nice. it. <laughs> so yeah, they would, they would start back up again. It would, I think it would post to Slack when it was restarting a connector so we could kind of keep an eye. Um, and that's important too, because sometimes connectors will, will crash for a real reason. You don't want to just keep restarting them. Yeah. Um, like, cause they'll just keep crashing. Uh, so that was a big one. Another one was uh, an auto scale job. So you ideally want to have a connector. You want to have the right number of tasks for the amount of volume in the topic that your connector is consuming from. This is for a sync connector mostly. Um, so uh, since it was a, an entirely self-service system, people could go in and actually add partitions to their Kafka topics, and they wouldn't always remember to add tasks to their connectors, which, like, you know, they're data scientists. We don't really want them to have to be thinking about things like that. So we just set up these auto-scaling jobs to, to kind of make sure everything is all, um, you know, working as optimally, optimally as it can. So the way that would work would be to periodically check uh, the number of partitions on the topics of interest and make sure that the number of tasks in the connectors of interest match them. Yeah, that was the first, that was the first implementation. Ideally though, you measure the, the volume in the topic and the, the rate of messages. Uh, it was a self-service system, oh. so sometimes people are like, "I'm going to make it a hundred partitions," right, right. and then they send like because they're not very good know, at this. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so if you're you know measuring and you're like, okay, this topic has a hundred messages per second, it really doesn't need more than like one task, really. Right. <laughs> so, um, even if it has like a hundred partitions, um, so yeah, that was. Those were some 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 of the most useful ones that I'm, that are coming to mind right now. Nice. How mm. about yeah? We could talk about metrics and things. Yeah, too. tell me and about tons that. Of was metrics. I wanted to get yeah. to metrics. Tell me about uh, what you collected and how you how you used mm -hmm. it. I mean, with metrics, there's always two interesting parts of the story. There's there's usually a how do you get at the thing that you want to know, um, and then what are you actually doing mm -hmm. with the metrics to, to give additional understanding to someone. Right, right. There are three metrics that were by far the most useful. And you'd want to have these metrics even if you weren't running Kafka Connect, but it's they're especially useful for Kafka Connect, which is the topic volume like metrics. So you um, really need to track the number of messages per second and also the bytes per second. It's really important to have both of those. And then uh, you really, really need to have the consumer lag. So you need to know how far behind are your, this is like for sync connectors, how far behind are your sync connectors falling in their, um, in consuming from their topics. And then, uh, oh, you know what? No, there's four, there's four metrics. Okay. The fourth one is um, heap, heap usage in your Kafka Connect cluster. So that was always a leading indicator of when we needed to scale our 
Kafka nice. Gnet cluster. Okay, that um, makes all the sense they, in the world, but that's yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So the Kafka Connect is pretty pretty heap intensive. It does a lot of buffering. It's you know reading and pulling in data from Kafka, buffering it, writing it out to other systems. Unless you have like complicated transforms, you're not going to be super um, CPU bound. Um, yeah, maybe network, but like always, yeah, it was always heap was the, was the limiting factor. That is interesting. Uh, that's a good, uh, that's a good thing to know. How about some other, mm. um, I, I know, you know, you, you made it clear that you're a huge fan of connect and that's very clear from your background and from, uh, your work here and kind of where you'd like your work to go. But I, the, the interesting things are not always here's what's awesome, but here's what wasn't. What, what was another gotcha that mm -hmm. would be a good warning for others? I would say the API itself. Mm. So Kafka Connect has an HTTP API that you can use to create and modify and delete connectors. And that's really useful, but the API is really weird. <laughs> <laughs> like... It's just weird, like, uh, um, and I I understand why they did it the way they did it. Uh, it makes sense knowing what I know about Kafka and how um, properties and configs work in Kafka, and I you know I think they were just working with the constraints that they had. Uh, but if you were just going to start from scratch and build an an HTTP API that makes sense for Kafka Connect, uh, the API it has is is not what what I would have designed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was one of the things that we did in our like control plane application that I mentioned earlier. We actually wrapped the Kafka Connect API and exposed a much simpler API um, that just really abstracted a lot of that awkwardness from the users and just gave them a really nice, clean HTTP, you know, sensible HTTP <laughs> the API. abstraction that that was uh that that gave your users what exactly what they needed and no more right yeah um and i think one other thing too is that um kafka connectors can be paused mm -hmm. uh which is nice if you want to stop um, if you want to stop processing data or you want to sort of like uh maybe you have a sync connector and you're writing to elasticsearch and elasticsearch is having an outage or, or it's really overheating and you want to pause all your Elasticsearch yeah. connectors. Um, uh, that's great. But if you want to do something like um, uh, upgrade your Elasticsearch cluster or, or do something where like ideally you would actually uh, release all of your resources, release the TCP connections, things like that, uh, you really want to stop the connector. You want to shut down the thread, have it release everything, uh, and just kind of you know completely shut down. But there's no there's no API to do that. You have to actually delete the connector and then recreate it. That's the only way to stop it. So that always kind of got to me. I think I should like uh, bug some people here now that I'm now that I'm at Confluent. Maybe you uh, have access to some people who work on that. Um, yeah, you could always <laughs> you always just get on the mailing list, but uh, you know, yeah. you, you know, yeah, there are there are more people that you can come in uh, easy contact with now. I guess, yeah, yeah, be that uh, uh, power for good there. 
Well, and I'm, I'm kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel here because there's not that many things I don't like about Cocker Connect. So. Awesome. <laughs> what do you think was the biggest win from that thing that you built, whether Connect related or, um, you know, to end, to end on a good note, what was, uh, what was your favorite part of the outcome? Ooh, the favorite thing that you did? Yeah. So at Stitch Fix, we had this data org which had all the data scientists and all the algorithms and, and all the, you know, all of that. We also had a engineering org, which had all of the um, engineers that worked on, uh, on, on the product, like their product engineers, their web developers, um, Ruby and Rails developers. So uh, they, they were, since they were in a different org, they had their an, an entirely separate set of systems, entirely different infrastructure. They had they even had their own platform team building separate tools for them, and the only uh, you know they had their own C level exec. So getting data from their engineering org over to the data org was so difficult before the before the data highway because we didn't have this nice system designed for for moving data from A to B uh, we had tons of little like one-off things um, it, it was just I remember actually one of my first months there I, I overheard a conversation between a, a data scientist and somebody on the engine in the engineering org and they were talking about like okay, engineering org has this data that the data scientists want. How can we get that data from their org to the data org? And I was kind of eavesdropping and they were just going back and forth and it, and it just, the conversation just ended in frustration. Like they, they didn't have a good way. It just didn't exist. And after the data highway, like, they probably wouldn't even needed to have a conversation in the first place because they could just go to the to the UI and and set it up. Like it could have been a probably like a Slack conversation. Like so, like a reminder of what's that what's that topic called? Uh, oh, okay, thanks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so like you know, the engineering org could have, could produce all the data and they just send it into the data highway and, and the data highway a lot of the time would just um, sort of transparently pick up the data, like the engineering or it doesn't even have to, um, they didn't even have to explicitly publish it into Kafka because uh, the source connectors would, would just kind of suck it up like a, like a, I kind of call it like a, like a big brother kind of system that's just watching you and watching everything the engineering org does, um, right. grabbing that data and, and siphoning it off into the data org. Except within the context of the actually shared interests of the right. organization yeah and yeah we're no not boots we're not like stepping on human faces on. Yeah. That's right. yeah that's a different novel we're supposed to be making pride and prejudice oh yeah uh, you're jokes. right <laughs> uh, here, I guess we're off in the 1984 <laughs> significantly less happy novel yeah um, um so i think yeah that was that was such a huge win it just became so much easier to to for the data scientists to get the data they needed it was so much easier for engineers to to give the data it, it just it it eased so many things like just a hundred different use cases were, were were made so much easier from it so i'd say that was the biggest win for sure and that that really is the vision uh it's great to hear you say that and, and that's 
again, sometimes I have to point these out and say that this is not, there's nothing rehearsed about that question or that answer. <laughs> that, however, is the vision of the event streaming platform as the central nervous system of a company, mm -hmm. that data that's over there that you would like here, you don't have to mm -hmm. ask. Yeah. Um, I mean, there can be governance rules. This yeah. particular kind of organization is not especially regulated. Yeah. You know, there'd be regulations around personal um, information and things like that, but yeah. otherwise clothing is not all that regulated. Yeah, different yeah. industries have different constraints there, yeah. but subject to governance, mm -hmm. the data is there. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you don't have to ask permission or get resources allocated. You just get it. Yeah, it's and, a, uh, you know, the real that. data democratization vision. Yeah. Indeed. My guest today has been Liz Bennett. Liz, thanks for being a part of Streaming Audio. Yeah, thank you so much. This is a really great conversation, Tim. And there you have it. Hey, it's Kafka Summit time again, and you get another discount code for listening all the way to the end. Kafka Summit London is coming up on April 27th and 28th of 2020, and you can get 30% off your registration if you go to kafka-summit.org and use the discount code KSL20AUDIO during checkout. Just enter KSL20AUDIO while registering at kafka-summit.org, and that 30% off is all yours. I would love to see you there. And anyway, I hope this podcast was helpful to you. If you want to discuss the podcast or ask a question, you can reach out to me at at TLBergland on Twitter. That's at T-L-B-E-R-G-L-U-N-D. Or you can leave a comment on a YouTube video or reach out to us in community Slack. There's a Slack sign-up link in the show notes if you want to join that group. And while you're at it, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and to this podcast wherever fine podcasts are sold. If you subscribe through iTunes, be sure to leave us a review there. That helps other people discover the podcast, which we think is a good thing. Thanks for your support, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.